0: If there are some imaginary theaters in the universe that are trying to thwart this film, they are terrible at it because the movie is doing great. And all that we've received is like the best partnership I could have ever imagined. Like I said, I've worked on the distribution of over 100 movies over 20 years, and I've never received this kind of support.
1: This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, deputy editor of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition since 1920. We have a really jam packed full episode for you here today. Uh, first, I'll be joined by Sean Robbins, chief analyst at Box Office Pro and analyst Chad Kennard to go over the latest news, Box Office, and we'll be hearing from Sean on what in August has the chance of knocking Barbie off of the top spot at the box office. In our feature segment, we'll be joined by Box Office Pro editorial director Daniel Aria, who dove into the story behind The Sound of Freedom from Angel Studios coming to the big screen. This is a film that, Sean, I think it's, it's fair to say that this has been the biggest box office surprise hit of 2023 so far.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think as we entered the summer and especially the, the year, Sound of Freedom and Barbenheimer were two things people did not have on their box office bingo cards.
1: And we'll, we'll be talking about about both of those things extensively uh, in this episode. Sound of Freedom with their Pay It Forward program, allowing you to kind of put money into a pot so someone can buy a ticket to the movie without having to actually pay anything. It, it's really done wonders for box office for the film. So, of course, we wanted to, uh, to chat with some of the people involved in that in that program and, and see how it came to be. It's been really successful on the cinema exhibition side of things. But before we get to that, let's talk about some news. We've had a ton of records that have been broken over these, these past few weeks, which is definitely a good thing to be able to say. We've had some big milestones that have been passed. Chad, in terms of the news uh, in the exhibition community over the last week, what are those milestones that we've passed? What's been happening?
3: b theaters, they... Had their two biggest opening weekends and also their two biggest overall sales weeks, as well as their biggest Treat Yourself Tuesday and their fourth biggest single day on Saturday in the 99-year history of the family-owned company. So huge records being broken kind of across the board at a lot of cinemas. And Barbie has really been a force behind that. It broke a billion dollars this weekend.
1: Sean, how how many is that that, that have broken a billion dollars since twenty twenty? We've had this Avatar, Spider Man,
2: Mario. Yeah, it's very few. I I was about to I was about to had an answer lined up because I think it's the fiftieth something oh. at all time, but it's a it's a much smaller list. Not it's not exactly fifty, but. Yeah, certainly since since reopening and since the pandemic, one billion has become a little bit more of an exclusive club. So I think that really emphasizes even more so how how important this is for Barbie
1: these past couple of weeks, in addition to uh, giving us the the Barbenheimer phenomenon and all these records, uh, it's also one of my favorite times of the year, i.e. quarterly earnings report era. So before we dive into box office, just a quick kind of rundown of what we've been hearing from some of those. First, IMAX. IMAX had their best July ever. Their Q2 revenue is uh, 98 million, up 32% from Q2 of the previous year. Marcus, their revenue is up 5.7% from the second quarter of 2022, up to $136.9 million. They've seen a 14.2% Increase in average ticket price and another increase in average concessions revenue, which they attribute in part to uh, this is the first quarter where they've like redone their value Tuesday program. Tickets used to be five dollars. Now they're six if you're a loyalty member, seven uh, if you're not. Cinemark, they had their Another record, their best July ever. They are outpacing other U.S. exhibitors in terms of their, uh, you know, just the numbers, the dollars and cents behind their recovery, in part because Q2 releases like Fast X, like Super Mario, just uh, performed really well in Latin American markets, where obviously Cinemark has uh, has a lot of presence there. So, yeah, been a, been a good quarter for Cinemark. We're seeing a lot of the same things in these, in these quarterly earnings calls that we've been seeing in the past. Past, i.e. concessions uh, per caps going up. Circuit's continuing to invest in PLF, which is over-indexing when it comes to ticket sales. If you tune back in next week on Thursday, we'll have those uh, very exciting financial updates from uh, AMC and Canada's Cineplex. And speaking of digging into numbers here, Chad, what are we looking at in terms of the box office for this past weekend?
3: Yeah, Barbie at number one again, uh, down just 42% in the third weekend with 53 million. The big news being that internationally, 572.1 million, the combined total is over a billion dollars. And as surprising as that is for me, I think number two was even more surprising, which was Meg2, the
1: trend. Sean, uh- This is not what was expected. We had two new films coming out this past weekend: Meg to the Trench and the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. You expected those to be flipped in terms of which one performed better.
3: I
2: think Meg was interesting. Uh, long range, we were actually kind of tracking it in that 25 to 35 range, but as release approached last week, it really didn't look like it had enough momentum to get there. So with final forecasts, it really felt like Turtles had the upper edge. I will say we're recording this on Monday. We're waiting on final numbers from both Paramount and Warner Brothers. It's they, They're so close, it's possible that there could be a flip there, including with Oppenheimer. But still, either way, I think Meg opening at this level... Whether or not it's a little under or over this estimate that we're talking about, it's probably as good as a result, I think, as we could have expected, considering we usually see sequels like this dip a little bit from the predecessor, and it's going up against what it's going up against.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it debuted to a 34% lower than what the first Meg did, but that's still higher than our predictions. Still, uh, still a good result for the film, which... Uh, we saw the top, the ranking of the top five theaters domestically. Chad, what were those theaters? Because there were some cities that we don't often see in these rankings.
3: Yeah, top five were Regal, Fresno River Park, AMC Empire, New York, Regal, Dania Point, Fort Lauderdale, Wellfleet Drive-In, Boston, Cape Cod. And Regal, Warren, Moore, Oklahoma City.
1: I mean, uh, we're used to seeing, like, Regal, Fresno, okay, LA, AMC, Empire. That's the the AMC in Times Square. That's great. And even, you know, but cheers to the Regal in Fort Lauderdale and cheers to the the Wellfleet Drive-In in in the Boston area because... Dang, that's. I mean, who doesn't want to? The Meg Meg two kind of <laughs> seems like the perfect drive-in. <laughs> it certainly was.
2: I saw a lot of double features of right. Barbie and Meg two <laughs> at some drive-in locations this weekend, so it seems to have worked. I, I can't. I can't imagine a much better late summer pairing.
1: So then, uh, yeah, in spot number three, we had Oppenheimer, which is holding steady, went down 38% in its third week to 28.7 million. So far, globally, it's sitting at 552.9 million, with 22% of that being from IMAX ticket sales. And then uh, number four at the box office, uh, Chad, as you mentioned, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which earned 28 million over the three day weekend. Uh, You add in Wednesday and Thursday. 43.1 Forty three point one million five day gross. Which Sean, your predictions were like right, right in there. You were like looking into a crystal ball on this one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was not, Yeah, sometimes you know, it, we get kind of lucky getting it that close, but it uh, it certainly felt like it was in a good position to. After you know, most of the summer didn't have a lot of big animated movies, and I think the awesome reviews really kind of helped fuel this as as a good family movie. While while Barbie and Oppenheimer and Meg are
3: out there.
1: So even though, I mean, it was it was expected that this is going to be number two at the box office, that this was going to make two, but this isn't like a bad, you think of a film like new to theaters coming out and hitting number four at the box office. I mean, I think the knee-jerk response for a lot of people is going to be like, oh my God, it, it did so much worse than was expected, but that's really not the case.
2: Right. And we've had a lot of that lately. I mean, Oppenheimer hasn't yet to be number one, but it is certainly viewed as a huge success. And that's why it's important when we break down these numbers, we see Meg and Oppenheimer and and Turtles within about two million dollars of each other this past weekend in that number two, three and four spot.
1: Yeah, the summer movie season now, you can kind of officially uh, say it's over. We're moving into August and September, which tend to be kind of the, the doldrum months in terms of, of box office. Chad, can you kind of give us a rundown of, of what we have coming out this month new to theaters? And then, uh, Sean, I want to hear from you on, on what you think has potential here and how long Barbie is going to be at the top of the box office.
3: This Friday, Last Voyage of the Demeter, and that's kind of a take on Nosferatu, Dracula, that we're predicting 5 to 10 million opening weekend range there. And then the following weekend, Blue Beetle, the DC superhero title, which we're looking at a 13 to 18 million opening weekend domestic. And that same weekend, we also have Strays, which is the sort of adult take on the talking animal comedy family film. This one is definitely not a family film. It's R-rated. And, uh, and then we have Gran Turismo on the 25th. And we talked about last week how they're kind of doing some early screenings of that to try to build the buzz and then finishing out the month bottoms on that same weekend.
1: Well, this this was what was interesting because I, I wanted to to ask Sean here. I mean, we have Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is kind of a you know moderate budget action, blue beetle DC superhero universe, Gran Turismo video game adaptation, albeit like it's you know not an adaptation in the strict term, but it's a video game movie. And then in Strays and Bottoms, we have two R rated. Comedies—they haven't really done super well so far this year. We've had a few R-rated comedies that haven't quite hit, so I'm interested to see. Like, do you think the R-rated comedies could step up and be a spoiler? I mean, we, we've definitely seen over this past month good and how powerful it can be at the box office just to have counter programmers out
0: there. Yeah, it's
2: that's a good question. I think certainly of the two, Strays is 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 going to be the one with a lot more chance to stand out. It is. Challenging to predict that one, I think, because just the nature of the film. And, you know, it's in that corridor of when. Good Boys came out before the pandemic and, and Sausage Party, both August R-rated comedies. I think Strays is is going for a very similar audience, maybe kind of the cocaine bear crowd as well for a more recent comparison. But so between that and and bottoms, I look I look at Strays. I think the question about, you know, what's going to dethrone Barbie is is a very interesting one because it, it's not going to be last voyage of the Demeter. Barbie should have a, a fourth weekend. Yeah, her, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to come down <laughs> to either Blue Beetle or Strays and you know we've we've seen and and talked a lot about the state of superhero movies, the state of DC in particular right now. So it's going to be maybe a little bit of a coin flip on that that weekend of the 18th. Of course, a Warner Brothers movie in Blue Beetle could be one of the candidates to dethrone Barbie, but at the moment, I would say the slightly better odds would be for Strays to do that.
1: It's wild because I mean, looking back or thinking back to like the evolution of of Blue Beetle and and the conversation surrounding the film, I mean, when that first trailer hit, Sean, it did like really good numbers. The first the initial marketing was really quite well received.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can be a sleeper in in some respect because it is also very clearly going to be a strength with Hispanic families and audiences and you know that that's an audience that we've seen certainly turn out in in big numbers for a number of films this year, even films that have been perceived to underperform at the box office, maybe something like Elemental. That's been a demographic that has really been a strength for a lot of films, and really that's been true for years, that it's something that could maybe help elevate Blue Beetle a little bit in its opening and and even beyond.
1: We had ups and downs this summer, but I think, Sean, would you agree that on balance, it's been a very good summer at the box office, even outside of the Barbenheimer phenomenon? Obviously, you can't... like. That is a huge part of the story, but it's not like this summer succeeded only because those two films did well. It was a really good summer, and, and, and we're at a really good point globally box office, would you say?
2: Yeah, I would agree. I, I think this is definitely the kind of summer where the sum is greater than its parts. We, we've talked a lot about films that underperformed on individual levels but putting everything to you know together, especially Barbie and Oppenheimer, but also looking back at Guardians having a leggy run. Little Mermaid, I think, did really well domestically. Films like that, Spider-Verse, we can't forget about that one either. All of these really combined. And, you know, we're now looking at year-to-date over $6 billion in domestic revenue. That mark didn't arrive until late October of last year. And a big reason that we got there this year is, is because of summer.
1: And of course, the big story of the summer, aside from the Barbenheimer phenomenon, has to be the release and subsequent box office success of Angel Studios' Sound of Freedom. It's the surprise hit of the summer. In a few months, we will probably be looking back on it as one of the biggest, if not the biggest, surprise hit of 2023. In the story of how Sound of Freedom came to the cinemas and its tenure in cinemas, uh, there's a lot that is of relevance to exhibitors, specifically because cinema exhibition has become part of the story, with some people going to see the film in cinemas and then later turning to social media to level baseless accusations that the cinemas is somehow trying to sabotage the release of the film. Between that, between the aforementioned uh, Pay It Forward program, and just the fact that this uh, mid-budget movie has, has come out so strong out of the gate and, and made so much money for exhibitors, we knew that there is a lot of meat in this story. There's a lot to dig into from the perspective of cinema exhibition. So, uh, with that, I will turn things over to Daniel Arria, editorial director of Box Office Pro, for our feature segment. We'll be right back.
4: Welcome back to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, with this week's feature segment. With $163.47 million since this recording, Sound of Freedom is currently the number 11 film of the year in North America, and may even finish this coming weekend as one of the top 10 highest earning films of the year at the domestic box office. The title has already outgrossed the theatrical total of several high-profile films from every single major studio. That includes Paramount's Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, MGM's Creed 3, Disney's Elemental, Universal's Fast X, Warner Brothers The Flash, and Sony's Insidious The Red Door. Sound of Freedom has outgrossed every single one of these films and has done so with a fraction of the marketing budget, star power, and brand name IP recognition that the studio titles have behind them. It has also done what few titles have been able to accomplish since the reopening of theaters after the pandemic. Finding a way for a word-of-mouth hit to thrive at the box office without the help of higher ticket prices coming from premium auditoriums. At the heart of the success of Sound of Freedom is a pay-it-forward program unprecedented at this scale in the history of theatrical distribution, whereby moviegoers can purchase tickets for other patrons for future showtimes of this title. But of course, that is not the whole story. Sound of Freedom is also embroiled in the culture war taking over today's social and political discourse in the United States. And it would be naive to believe that part of the film's success doesn't stem from that tide or from those actors and entities acting in bad faith to amplify misinformation around the film and its theatrical release. Sound of Freedom is a confirmed box office success, the biggest surprise of the year, and it has helped exhibition by covering the gap in the market where other high-profile studio tentpoles have disappointed. Sound of Freedom, through its distributor Angel Studios, has worked directly with independent exhibitors to be as flexible and inclusive as possible in adding screens and showtimes for the film's run during a crowded time in the market, while other major studios, let's say it, with films that are earning far less money in some cases than Sound of Freedom, have failed to even show a portion of that same support or understanding to the smaller independent exhibitors for their own films. It is also a fact that the film's star, Jim Caviezel, and other members from the production have made remarks on the record situating the film squarely in the throes of conspiracy theories, claiming that the very real and dire human trafficking crisis is somehow part of a nefarious partisan political effort, or that the film itself, which has now been booked in over 4,000 locations in North America, a screen count nearly unheard of for a film of this scale, that this film is somehow being sabotaged by the very exhibitors who are booking this title and welcoming moviegoers to the film itself? There are no winners in a culture war, just losers, a bunch of losers shouting over each other. And here in the Box Office Podcast, we're not going to walk into that rhetorical bear trap. We're not going to walk into that culture war conversation, which is a distraction for what this podcast is meant to do. It's meant to support and inform the theatrical exhibition community, and that is precisely the story we're going to bring you today. We're going to be bringing in clips from interviews that we've had with Sound of Freedom's executive producer, John Paul DeJoria, Angel Studios VP and head of theatrical distribution, Brandon Purdy, and the Independent Cinema Alliance's president and CEO of Warehouse Cinemas, Rich Dautrich to tell the story of how this film became the biggest surprise of 2023 at the domestic box office. So let's start things off by hearing from the film's producer, John Paul DeJoria, on how he came onto this project and found distribution with Angel Studios, which boldly decided to open the film directly against Disney's Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny over the 4th of July weekend.
5: So we finished the film a little over three years ago. I mean, it's done. Good film. And Eduardo, even during COVID and afterwards, went around to shop the film. He went to all the biggies. They all said, oh, this looks interesting, but we'll get back with you later. And nobody did. And he was really brokenhearted because it's such a good film, such a good story. So he started calling friends of his telling about, please help me, because he's very religious, okay? Please pray to God together with me, send me an angel. Nobody's taking on this film, it's gotta be seen, Send me an angel, send me an angel. And that's what he was thinking, he was telling all of his friends the same thing, pray for me to have an angel. Three months, three months before the movie is released, he gets a phone call out of nowhere from Angel Studios in Utah saying, you know, you showed it to us once. I think we want to go with it. Will you come back again? He flew back there, chatted with them. They said, we're going to release this in the movie theaters. There's a big movie coming out here on the 4th of July weekend and not everyone will be able to get in to see it. We could probably get you in theaters and we thought, well, I don't know because maybe no one will see it. They want to see all the other movies. He says, no, they'll see it. So we went into about 2,000 theaters and of course uh, the, the great Movie that came out there uh, with Harrison Ford went into thousand500 or six hundred theaters, more than twice as much. But we called everybody. I called everybody. He called everybody. We let the word spread. We didn't have the extra money for advertising. That's why we went underground and told everyone the world. Well, what happened? Our friends went to see it, and they all of a sudden started calling their friends and their friends. All of a sudden, people started coming and coming and packing the theaters all word of mouth. And why did that happen? It's almost like there's divine intervention or something because nobody wanted to carry it. There was no big advertising budget at all there, not even a little one to go with there. It was like really grassroots and it kept on growing and growing. So obviously the first weekend it was out and we were totally surprised. It beat the Harrison Ford movie, which was the number one movie out on the 4th of July. Really surprised the heck out of us. And I understand last week it uh, did quite well against Tom Cruise's new movie. And it's still in theaters. And friends call me and say, JP, we went down at the theater to see it. They're booked for the next two days. We can't see it. They have two theaters going now with your movie in it, but it's booked for two days. And we thought, this is just wonderful. In the meantime, 23 countries got a hold of Eduardo. And said, we want it. We will take it. Whatever it takes, let's cut a deal. We want our country to see it. 23 different countries. So we're right now translating it into 23 different deals. Now, getting that kind of return is great. But when we did this, we didn't know if we'd make any money off of it. The main thing is the motivation. Let's get it out. Hopefully a few million people will see it. Well, already ten million people have seen it, and my feeling is over a hundred million people are going to see this movie. We're already ten percent there. It's a movie that must get out.
4: And as you can tell from John Paul DeJoria's comments, there was an undertone of that faith-based community from the outset on Sound of Freedom, so it's a natural fit for a faith-based distributor like Angel Studios to get involved with a theatrical release when they did. I spoke with Brandon Purdy, the VP and Head of Theatrical Distribution over at Angel Studios to get a better idea of when Angel Studios picked up this title for distribution and how they came up with that very risky and bold July 4th release date for the movie.
0: Yeah, so we actually, the deal went really fast. We started talking with the filmmakers maybe 10, 12 weeks ago is all. We signed a deal within days, and obviously the film had to pass the Angel Guild, like all of our content before we release it. No one person can greenlight a project at Angel. It has to go through a guild which is made up of 100,000 plus investors who've put money into projects. It scored exceptionally high, and so then it was prepped to ready to go to, to theaters, and then we chose an aggressive date to put it in the theaters. But one thing that's amazing about Angel is that Angel Studios is that it's, it's the way they approach everything as if everything is possible. And when I say that's a hard date, they're like, yeah, we know. This is gonna be great. It's gonna do so well. It's such a big date. And so it's been an eye-opening and kind of a wonderful experience to take such an aggressive date. Uh, we couldn't have done it for sure without the exhibitors though. So we decided the date like two days before CinemaCon And then we went to CinemaCon, and we announced the date, and we showed the trailer. We had over 100-something meetings. That's the first time I've met Rich. And the independent theaters just, uh, you know, they also were concerned about the date, like we all should be. But they were also very supportive. And once we shared the materials at CinemaCon, the trailer and our strategy and what we were looking to do, the support was almost immediate from the independent theaters as well as the larger exhibitors it took some time to get everybody on board but they couldn't ask for better better partnerships all around especially on this this movie one thing i love about cinema is that at the end of the day if it works it works and everybody lines up behind it because we're all in it for the same same thing to entertain people and to and to win together and the theaters once the movie hit and was doing so well i
4: mean it's just been open doors, wide-open support. And that is precisely what the independent exhibition community came together to build, a grassroots campaign to target their patrons and build awareness for this title. Here is Rich Dautridge, president of the Independent Cinema Alliance and CEO of Warehouse Cinemas, talking about how he first heard about Sound of Freedom and the campaign that the ICA put together to support the film's release.
6: Yeah, so the first I heard of the film was at CinemaCon as well. We had a meeting with Angel Studios, a brief meeting, actually, and then I followed up a few weeks later. Yeah, I mean, the date was seemed like a challenge. At the same time, I think the benefit of independence is that we're nimble. I think we could make a few calls and get people behind the film. Yes, it was a fairly crowded slate at that time. But the one thing that the Independent Cinema Alliance has tried to work on is taking these films that you know are going to do 15 to 45 million opening weekend and give it some juice when it comes to our owned media and leveraging our email list, leveraging our social. And again, like independents, I think are in a good position to do it via their brand voice. So they're saying, you know, in my case, Warehouse Cinemas, this is a film that uh, you should go see it. Here's the trailer. And have you seen this movie or that movie? You might like this movie, right? So... I think that's how we approached it. So we actually quickly, and Brandon, to his credit, they move very quickly (laughs) when we pitched the idea of uh, one of our marketing pilot programs, which uses the data and uses the social and email. I think it was within 24 hours, uh, Brandon said yes. So we activated about 35 locations quickly and spent some media dollars against that and we're off to the races. And uh, the results so far have been amazing from anyone who participated. I know independents across the board We're glad for that counter-programming at that time of the year.
4: And a key part of the success of Sound of Freedom in theaters has been this innovative pay-it-forward campaign whereby patrons can buy tickets for other moviegoers to attend future screenings of the film. I spoke to Brandon Purdy from Angel Studios to get a better sense of how that concept was instituted, where it originated, and how they were able to execute it for this title.
0: Back when we released His Only Son is when we actually first put the technology out and used it. That was in March. After that, for Sound of Freedom, we actually started early before the movie even came out, before we even had tickets on sale. We started when we started debuting the trailers and posters and different material, doing promotional screenings, VIP screenings, uh, influencer screenings. And so people started paying it forward that, you know, month, I think a month before before tickets even went on sale. So uh, all the way up to the in-theater experience. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a guy that, I, you know, my first job was at 14 in a movie theater. I've only ever worked in movie theaters or distributed movies theatrically since I was 14. And I can think of a handful of times that if I was able to sit in a theater and see a movie that moved me, and I could have bought tickets for other people versus just saying, I'm going to do something and then walking out, getting my car, going home and forgetting about My good intentions, I can think of a dozen films off the top of my head where I would have bought tickets for other people and supported the film in that way. I actually feel like that would have been a better investment than spending astronomical amounts of money going to film festivals, just buying tickets, buying tickets for films and making it so people can see the movie. You know, the the pay it forward model really started with Angel Studios long before we ever launched Theatrical, long before I came on to build Theatrical for Angel Studios with the show The Chosen. That show was very popular, but when they implemented the pay-it-forward model, that show just started breaking record after record and, and, and hasn't stopped. <laughs> so it's, um, that's a way where people could watch the show for free on an app and be able to say, yeah, I want to pay it forward. And they would pay it forward for so many people to be able to watch the show around the world. And then when people would go in to watch that show on the app in another country or at another time, it would say, um, you're watching this show because it's been paid forward by so-and-so, made it possible for you. And that just elevated the show to a worldwide global level. Uh, The show's incredible. Um, So when you have a great way for people to share and you have great content. It moves fast. So implementing that into the theatrical experience we thought was super important. So the the team here of Angel kind of, the Angel team came together and put together a way that that could be done. The very, you know, the nuts and bolts, the kind of basics of that is that people watch the show. At the end of the show, there's a call to action. His only son, it was the director, Sound of Freedom. It was the star of the show. And then a QR code comes up and they can choose to scan that and buy tickets for other people to be able to see the movie at another time or another place or another country or however that works. Predominantly, when people are paying it forward, people are then redeeming those tickets to see it in that same location. It's a pretty it's a pretty even balance. But yeah, it's it's been wild to
4: watch how effective the pay it forward has been on this film and, and on His Only Son. And from an operational standpoint, exhibitors found themselves in a unique position of implementing this pay-it-forward program in a scale they never had before. It was a tricky proposition. How do you welcome or turn away a patron looking to participate in a free ticket program? Anyone that remembers the MoviePass Misadventures can recall the customer service challenges it introduced. So I asked Rich Dottridge, how his theaters implemented the Pay It Forward program, and how other cinemas can introduce a concept for future releases.
6: In general, it's pretty straightforward. The redemption side of the consumer, uh, I believe, Brandon, they went to angel.com slash free tickets, and they basically went to a page. It, it, from there, it, it lists you put in your zip code, and then the consumer would go th- all the way through the checkout process, and they actually fill out a form, and then they got an auto response back with a code in which case they, they redeem that on Fandango or Adam Tickets in most cases. But it is a unique thing that when you post on social, or in our case, we send an email blast out, we were very, very specific about the film title being the, the ticket you are going to get for this Pay It Forward. This isn't a open-ended voucher or a gift card. This is a ticket for this film. And to be honest, at Warehouse, we went and copied and pasted some of the copy that was on the website there and because there was, the, there was a nice Q&A that we were able to sort of craft our own language around. And honestly, we didn't have any issues. What we had was sold out showtimes, <laughs> quite a bit of sold out showtimes because people appreciated it and saw that as a, as an opportunity to go watch a film. And honestly, for the rest of the industry, a lot of people I believe came in the heat of the summer and watched a film and a certain percentage hadn't been in the cinema for a while. Right. So we were able to pull some people out, which I think had a lift across the board, which is always the goal.
4: Unfortunately, the biggest customer service challenge facing theaters, which have booked Sound of Freedom, have been a small but very vocal number of irate patrons, convinced there's a large conspiracy preventing the title from playing at their local theater. Now, this issue has prompted industry leaders like AMC Theater CEO Adam Aaron to turn to social media to disprove those conspiracy theories, reiterating the fact that no other cinema chain in the world has given Sound of Freedom as many showtimes or screens as AMC. These instances have popped up across the country and made their way to social media where they've been amplified by bad faith actors to promote the idea that this is some sort of forbidden movie that you have to see by clandestine means. To clarify, this is an independent movie released on July 4th weekend that added screens every single weekend over its first month in the market. The notion that exhibitors have been anything but supportive to this title is not just patently false, but also ridiculous. But don't take that from me. Here is Brandon Purdy from Angel Studios, a veteran in theatrical distribution, addressing that subject directly. I mean, people are going to the movie. We
0: were up our second weekend from our first weekend. Last weekend and our third weekend, our box office was stronger than the first weekend of the movie's premiere. If there are some imaginary theaters in the universe that are trying to thwart this film, they are terrible at it because we, the movie is doing great. All that we've received is like the best partnership I could have ever imagined. Like I said, I've worked on the distribution of over 100 movies over 20 years, and I've never received this kind of support, not just from Rich, who completely got on board and innovated with us, but I mean, at every level of theater chain, I'm getting calls from CEOs and you know executive teams and people that I've worked with for 20 years, just congratulating us on the success. So, I think what people don't realize is they go to the movies all the time, but they don't scrutinize the movie going experience all the time. So, stuff that's normally there when they go to a movie and they're hyped up, they just notice things that they don't normally notice. To me, all the stuff that I read online from working in theaters my whole life, it's very normal. And as of the end of this week, we'll have crossed our 4,000th booking for this movie for the total run, not like through the end of you know August or September. So far, though, we've been in almost 3,600 locations total. And there's a handful of challenges. And like you said, the next weekend, after a bunch of this noise was out about Sound of Freedom and theaters, the next weekend, there's a whole bunch of stories about AC problems during Barbie, but nobody thought the world was trying to stop barbie you know so it's just it's a natural thing 99% of all the theaters and everything experience has been great we barely had it's bare, it's just a handful of really loud people and we really respect our fans they love the movie they're super passionate about it and and when people care deeply about stuff you know they just notice things that they otherwise might not notice in their movie going experience
4: And anyone who caught a less than stellar 70mm presentation of Oppenheimer can attest to what Brandon Purdy just said. Sometimes the projection and presentation standards at the movies can let you down. Now that's not something to be minimized. By all means, if there is an aspect in your movie going experience that wasn't up to your expectations, by all means, notify the theater management. But there's a way to do it. And for exhibitors, knowing how to face those interactions from angry patrons can make the difference between welcoming someone back to your theater next week and losing them for good. Here is Rich Dottridge providing some advice on how to tackle problematic patrons arising from screenings of Sound of Freedom
6: get a manager so yeah i mean we have had some some issues i mean but it's it's not specific to the film it's just like uh brandon said we're firing up our ac units a lot of times uh this time of year and so honestly i think you, you you put your hands behind your back and you respectfully you know listen to what they have to say and hopefully let them know that it has nothing to do with the film if that happens or or they just don't like the fact that they didn't like the film or whatever. It's like, it's for any movie really. And I I think it's just a customer service and it's just part of a certain percentage of consumers that are going to be that way. And, uh, you know, you just address it um, as they come around. And so, yes, I guess it's a customer service 101 thing. I will say, you know, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time on as we scale our circuit is processes. So when that AC unit is out or that projector does go down, what's the next step? And so we've been able to quickly mobilize the team to get in the auditorium, make the announcement, have the tickets ready for refunds, all those things. I think that goes a long way, regardless of the situation. You know, I would say most people are fine. You know, it happens type thing.
4: And that was Rich Dottridge from the Independent Cinema Alliance and Warehouse Cinemas. Earlier in this episode, you heard from Sound of Freedom executive producer John Paul DeGioria and Angel Studios VP and head of theatrical distribution, Brandon Purdy. I'm Daniel Luria signing off here for my colleagues at Box Office Pro, who produce the Box Office podcast in association with the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcasts. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And we'll be back with you next Thursday with a new episode of our show. Thanks again for all your support. Talk to you next week.